Good morning. Good morning. Where I want to go this morning is something I wanted to start last week, but you guys know my heart and my passion is I always want to be relevant to what God is saying and what He's doing. I see no point in talking about some spiritual psychote or something way out there in the cosmos that has nothing to do with where we are at, his, at this place, at this time in history. Amen? Amen? So my heart and my passion is just like the gospel, the greatness of the gospel, is it always needs to be relative, and it always needs to be transformative. Everything that we share and do as we touch and move around people should always be changing the environment that God has us put our foot into. Amen? Amen. So I want to talk about 2022. But hear me, I am just giving a perspective of where I feel as a people God wants us to go. But I'm telling you right now, there is a lot of voices out there. There are a lot of voices out there that are saying, it's going to be singing in the halls this year. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be grand. But I want to remind you of a scripture. Mario Murillo posted a post, I think it's called, um, What's True in, in 2022? And, and it's a powerful read. But he says, to understand the moment we are at, we must look at Samson, which is in Judges 16.20. Samson makes this comment. Listen to this. And Delilah said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as other times before and I will shake myself free. You guys know the story? He did this several times. Finally, he goes outside. This is not God's got this. Uh, woo! And he goes out there and, he, and, and they capture him. This time he does not shake himself free. And the word says, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Ouch. You guys know me. You know my heart. The goal of my teaching is not gloom and doom. That's not who I am. I am forever the optimist. I believe in the transforming power of God. I, I have this incredible optimistic hope of the future. But at the same time, this year, it's going to take discernment. It's going to take preparation in order for us to be able to seize what God's calling us to do. And I want to advise you to not focus on all the YouTube, all the internet words that are out there. I'm not saying don't listen to them. But I'm saying don't listen to them. <laughs> what I'm saying, guys, is hear from the Lord for yourself. Guys, this is on you. The onus of making this turn and, and, and see our, our country, our nation, whatever you want to focus on, to see any of this turn for the glory of God, you need to focus on God. You need to focus on His Word. You need to focus on His truth. And people tell me a lot that, you know, a lot of the stories in the Bible, they're just not relevant for today. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I want to bust out this morning... Uh, something from the scriptures that I think it is one of the most relevant messages for us as a tribe, as a people for day, for today, for such a time as this. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. I want you guys to know that this year will either be your greatest year of opportunity or you're going to miss an amazing opportunity. It depends on where you start from. 
and how hungry you are. Now, I'm just going to read this. This is out of the New King, uh, New, King, <clears throat> New King James Version. This is what happens when I drink too much caffeine. Start talking like Mickey Mouse. Hello, boys and girls. This is Mickey Mouse. Okay. Starts out. Now it came to pass. Matthew 11, verse 1. When it came to pass, now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding, instructing his 12 disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John, heard, <clears throat> when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to him, they said to him, are you coming, <clears throat> excuse me, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? John had this incredible message, and the message was simple. It was repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized. He was the last of the old and, and as well as the messenger of the new. That's who John the Baptist was. And he'd been imprisoned. And Jesus answered these two disciples and he said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Hear and see. <clears throat> he says, The blind see and the lame walk. <coughs> Boy. He says, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have got the gospel preached to them. And, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed. So they took that message. They took it back to John. It says, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out in, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? It'd be like a man wearing a suit. And he says, indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out and see? Jesus keeps answering, what did you go out to see? And then he says, a prophet? And he says, yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. John was more than a prophet. And then he says, for this is... He of whom it is written. And then he makes reference to a Malachi 3 uh, scripture. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And then he goes on. He said, assuredly, I say to you. He begins giving this beautiful narrative of John and who he is and just commending John for, for who he is and what's going on. He says, assuredly, I say to you, among these born of women, there has not been not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Then all of a sudden, Jesus kind of segues or turns the corner. or It's just kind of interesting. All of a sudden, he interjects this into the context here. He says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is the Elijah who is to come. And then he finishes with a very familiar statement. He who has ears, let him hear. So what does it mean that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence? 
In, in some ways, it doesn't make a lot. How can the kingdom of heaven suffer violence? Jesus' statement that the kingdom of God suffers violence is found in the context of his commendation where he's talking about John the Baptist. And he again says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, so when John started his ministry until now, it says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I think this is a key to us as a people and a tribe and for such a time as this for us to really get our hearts around if we're going to move into the future and take the opportunity and seize hold of what God has for us. Amen? You know, our heart and our passion is to make Jesus famous. This is our time. This is our moment. Other translations put it like this. The NIV says, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it. The CEV, the commentary uh, English version, says violent people have been trying to take over the kingdom of heaven by force. And the translations go on and on. You know, this is is indeed a puzzling verse at first, but how can God's kingdom suffer and what does violent people have to do with it? You know, a a basic rule of hermeneutics is that context is king. Uh, uh, boy, I'm really struggling this morning. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the study of, of, of actually interpretation. It's looking at the word, studying the word, looking at it from different perspectives, and seeing what the word is really saying. But one of the basic rules is the context is king. So we need to look at the entire context of what Jesus is saying here. And it begins to make sense. As I already mentioned, you know, Jesus is speaking to crowds. And these were crowds that crowded around John and Jesus and, and, and both of their ministries together. And immediately before a statement that the kingdom of God suffers violence, Jesus is honoring John as the greatest prophet. The people understood this. So immediately following his statement in verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 11, Jesus signifies that John was the capstone of the Old Testament revelation. And that he was the one who fulfilled this prophecy we see in Malachi 4.5, which says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And then Jesus speaks again those familiar words. He who has ears, let him hear. Words that suggest that maybe Jesus is speaking figuratively. Another basic rule of hermeneutics is to compare Scripture with Scripture. You take Scripture, you look at Scripture, and you begin to compare them. The Gospels, you look at the different Gospels of what's happening, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can begin to compare the Scriptures to get a bigger picture. And you want to see what's lining up. And one thing we can read and, and surmise is that one of the things that really characterized John the Baptist's ministry was the large number of people who came to him. Volumes and volumes and volumes of people. We read that in Mark. It says that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to hear him. It doesn't say a few people showed up. It says that the whole countryside, it would be like having a revival tent somewhere and everybody in the entire county came. And what's amazing is this crowd was as loyal as it was diverse, and and there were people there who responded to John's message of the coming Messiah. These were people who you would have never thought in your wildest dreams would have even stepped foot inside a place where they were hearing God's message. These people were people that had lived lives of debauchery. There were tax collectors, there were prostitutes, Roman soldiers. Read the word. They were all drawn to John's message. Something was drawing them. There was a power that was unseen that was drawing their hearts. Yet his message wasn't about 
all this other stuff that we tend to focus on, it was about repentance, getting it right, because God is coming, and there is a judgment coming. Get your life right. And that just, it drew people's hearts. And the crowd, I can tell you, the crowd believed John to be the true prophet of God, and they were adamant about it, very adamant about it. They pressed in to not only John, they pressed into Jesus, and they continued to follow after John was arrested, they continued to follow Jesus' ministry. Did someone just turn the light out? Or? Yeah. I can't see. Uh-oh. Oh, I can see now. <clears throat> so the key to understanding what Jesus is saying, that the kingdom of God suffers violence, I think is found in when you point to the huge crowds that followed John, and, and they were now following him. Jesus likens these large crowds to an invading like an invading army that's gathering around a city, getting ready to capture it. So let's do a breakdown really quick of Matthew eleven twelve. The three points I want to make really fast. From the days of John the Baptist until now, what he's saying is there has been an extraordinary rush of people pressing in from all sides, eager for a blessing, eager to hear the message, eager to find out what's going on. Is the message you're sharing? Are people eager to hear it? Are people rushing up to you and saying, what, what's it? I'm just meddling. <laughs> Second point, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Figuratively speaking, it's that people were so hungry to hear the gospel that they, they, they resembled this huge army that was besieging a city, coming on it. And then, and he finishes out, violent, <clears throat> the violent take it by force. The people who, in this breakdown of the scriptures, the people entering the kingdom were not violent, literally. It wasn't like they were walking in there with pitchforks and shovels and, and pickaxes and Vikings and V, keepers. It wasn't like that. These people were moving in because they were so hungry. There were so, there'd been 400 years of silence, my friend. 400 years of not hearing anything from God. And all of a sudden, this message comes that brings incredible hope. And it says, you know, but, but, excuse me, but in their eagerness to see the coming Messiah, they were so overwhelming, moving out of the, the countryside into this place or in, from the countries all around into this place, it was as if they were attacking a city and beating down the doors of that city to enter it. I don't know if you can get this imagery going in your head. <clears throat> so Jesus' statement that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence is a very graphic picture of enthusiasm. It's about excitement, and it's generated by John the Baptist's teaching, and now Jesus' teaching. <clears throat> People were so hungry for the truth that nothing was going to keep them away. For centuries, God's prophets had predicted this moment. They had predicted the Messiah's coming, and now the Messiah was here. And nothing could hold back the flood of people pressing in to this new kingdom reality. There was nothing you could put in their way. There was no wall too high. There was no door too big that they weren't going to try to conquer to get into the presence of God. So to, have, to drill down a little bit deeper, to have a deeper understanding of this Matthew 11 passage, you have to go all the way back to some of the Messianic passages in the Old Testament. And one of them is a prophetic word about the restoration of Israel. And if you turn with me really quick back to Malachi, this is important, or excuse me, Micah, uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is a powerful scripture. This is all going to kind of fit here in a moment. 
says, I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep in the fold, like a flock in the midst of its pasture. They will be noisy with men. So here's this imagery of, of God gathering all of these people into this big old pen for sheep to be held into. And, and I don't know if you've ever been around large pens of animals. They're noisy. And, and the sheep are noisy. And they're jumping all over each other. And, and they're just a hooting and a hollering away. Okay? And then he says, the breaker, verse 13. So important. Listen to this. The breaker goes up before them. They break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. So their king goes on before them and the Lord at their head. This, this, this scripture paints this picture of God gathering the remnant of Israel together like a shepherd would a pen of a sheep in, like I said, a makeshift corral. But in this case, the enclosure is enclosed and around people, people waiting and anxious to get out. This is what it's referencing. People waiting, they're anxious to get out. The breaker in verse 13 was a Hebrew word, peretz. It's where we get the word dynamite from. The breaker is the Hebrew word for dynamite. And it says the breaker. <clears throat> the breaker is the one that kicks the gate open. The sheep push past. It's as if the sheep explode out of the pen in their eagerness to get out. Are you, are you feeling this? The king it talks about. There are two different people here. You have the breaker and you have the king. The one who went before and kicked down the gate of the stampede that started it all was Elijah. This is who this is referencing. Was the prophet Elijah. The king mentioned in here is who? Jesus. It's the Messiah. Why I say this is a messianic scripture is because it's pointing to the Messiah who's yet to come. And any scripture that points to the Messiah and gives that hope is considered a messianic scripture. So we see the king who passes through the gate. He leads the flock out of the fold. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. That's the son of David. Amen? So and because of a scripture, another scripture, Malachi 4, 5, the Jews knew what was going on here when Jesus was talking because they knew that Elijah had to come first before the Messiah would show up. Malachi 4, 5 says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So if Jesus is referring to this Malachi 4, 5 in his talking in, in chapter 11, then some of the things start to, uh, starts to kind of click and fall into place. Jesus is saying this, that if the kingdom of heaven is breaking forth, it is breaking out, it is exploding, and all the people in this kingdom are breaking out of their bondage, and they want to lay hold of freedom. They're busting out through the gate. They want to go. The kingdom of heaven is breaking forth, he says. It, it, it's like dynamite. It's, it's, it's individuals busting forth, finding liberty and freedom. So many people in the past few years and beyond have been so bound up. There's so much bondage on people. And he's saying, the gate is busted open and they're exploding forth. Here's one of the, he, he is saying, he's, he, <clears throat> he is the one who started the movement, and it is Elijah, the Micah, in the Micah passage. He is the breaker. I, to add credibility to this line of thinking, I wrote, Jesus calls John the Baptist Elijah, and in the next verse he says, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He opened and prepared the way for the king who will follow. 
Do you see the imagery here? John the Baptist is the breaker. He comes, he breaks open the gate, then here comes the king following the, the flock out. So Jesus, Jesus, without actually having to say it, is alluding to the fact that he is the Messiah that this Micah passage talks about. Jesus is the king who is leading the sheep through the gate. Guys, for me, this is such powerful imagery that Jesus doesn't directly in the scripture refer to himself as a shepherd who leads the sheep out. But no listener in Jesus' crowd at that moment could mistake Jesus' stunning claim that I am the Messiah and that John the Baptist is the Elijah who started this whole thing moving, started the whole kingdom of heaven starting to break out. Another interesting note is that Jesus has dynamite as part of his DNA. Did you guys know that? Kind of a sidebar note. Thank you, Ernie Stone. In Genesis 38, 27, there's this weird story. And there is the story we read of Tamar giving birth to twins. Tamar had been a daughter-in-law of of, uh, Jacob, or Judas, I'm sorry, and her son had died, and it's a whole story, and he just said, go live in your dad's house, and, and when one of my boys grows up and gets old enough, I'll have him marry you, and you'll conceive and have a son. That was the hope, but through some trickery and debauchery, uh, she ended up fathering, Tamar ended up fathering Judah's son. But here's the weird part. In the, in the part of giving birth to the twins, the midwife said, <clears throat> what happened was, is, I'm trying to be gentle here with the imagery, because it's kind of weird to me, but... In giving birth, this hand pops out. So the midwife ties a little red string around the hand. But all of a sudden, the hand goes back, and this other brother shoots out of the womb. And the midwife said, what a breach you've made for yourself. That was her words. What a breach you have made for yourself. So they named him Perez, dynamite. Interesting, huh? So Perez's father, of course, was Judah, and Perez became the, the head of the clan of Judah, which was an ancestor of David who became the father of Jesus. Follow the genealogy. Go, go, go to Matthew chapter 1. You'll see it. So since we have been grafted into the tribe of Judah, we have that same DNA in us. We have the ability to explode, to move forcefully, to not just sit around. We have in us the ability to bust out of things and break people free. Where's your passion? Where is your passion in this moment and in this season? Has it tanked? You need to, you need to read this word and see that you, you have so much more in you than you ever can begin to realize. Jesus was not the kitten of Judah. Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's who we are. We have in us the ability to break forth and explode with the message of the gospel. Every one of us does. It's in his nature and it is in our nature as well to be passionate and to be explosive for the things of the kingdom. So in in the context of what was happening to John the Baptist, he's in prison. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God suffers violence and violent men seize it. It's also true that the kingdom of heaven is forcing its way into the world and forceful men want to crowd into it for themselves. Now the second, if you read the second part of that, and violent men seize it, it implies that the decision to enter the kingdom of heaven to receive that power requires some kind of vigorous and forceful action. There is a, there is a teaching that salvation is a free gift. Well, it, it is. 
But if you want to follow Jesus and move in the power that God wants us to move in, it's going to cost you everything. Are you passionate enough? Are you violent enough in your spirit to want to go after it? Violent isn't what we think of. Again, it's not like carrying bazookas and cannons. The violence that the, uh, the word talks about is this forceful, energetic, uh, dynamic type of energy that wants to go after something. How many of you have ever chased after God? You were so hungry and so thirsty for a touch from God, you just went after it with all of your heart. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so when we read any other similar statements, if we're going to begin comparing scriptures and passages and books, we read where Jesus says something similar in Luke's gospel. And it appears to, uh, this is what Jesus had in mind about this whole exploding forth. He says, the law, this is Luke 16, 16. He said, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God has, is being preached. And then it says, and everyone is forcing his way into it. <clears throat> Interesting. In other words, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven requires, if you want to move and press into and, and get all that God has for you, it requires deliberate. It requires purposeful. It requires a determined action. So guys, scripture's like a rise and shine. Your light has come. That's a real deal. It's time to get up off our high knees and press into what God has for us this year. Amen. You know, the... When we take both the verses from Matthew and Luke and we put them together, we understand that the kingdom of heaven does advance into this world, but not without conflict. There are forces of evil who oppose God's word. There are forces of evil who oppose his work. And we see violent men working against God and his church in this world today, right? He's telling us that there are, there's, there are spiritual things pressing against the king. Stop, stop. At the same time, we have... God's kingdom is also coming with power and many people are being freed from the power of Satan right now and, and they want to take hold of the good news of Jesus. And this is pressing in and these two kingdoms are colliding. You can't just sit on the bench and watch this happen. You can't just sit here and go, well, I'm just going to sit here and wait for the Jesus bus to come. Man, if that's you, you're going to live such a boring life. That's not what you're called to. You're called to violently step into his presence. Just go after everything with all of your, explode into all that God has for you. We should take the note of the, of the response of people believing in Jesus' day and share in their passion. If, if we knew there was a big move of God happening in Canyonville, how many of us would actually go up there? Or how many go, you know, that sounds good. I got an oven to clean though. I'm going to stay home. I got a pizza. To, I'm, I, this just isn't, you know. <clears throat> and then you wonder why. You get frustrated. And Come on, guys. It's time to get up. It's time to rise and shine. This, this gift of eternal life is beyond anything we can compare. It's powerful. And, 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 and knowing Christ has come should create in us an eagerness, an incredible eagerness, and a desire to press into his kingdom to be closer to him. I don't know about you, but I am hungry and I am thirsty for something new. I want more of God. I want more of Jesus. And I can honestly say the things that God's given me, most all of it, I've done a fair job in the past. But we'll never go back to the way things were. And if that's your thinking, you're missing the point. There's something new every day, and God has something so new for us this year. There is no place in this moving forward for apathy or an ambivalent spirit. It's, there's not. 
the followers of Jesus, man, they should be, they should be saying, I want more, God. I want more. You know, I, I was trying to take so much and pound it into one time. I'm going to share it next week again. But here's my point, guys. Why am I saying all this? Why am I saying, why am I preaching Matthew 11, the kingdom of God suffered violent, violent take away force, people are pressing in. Why am, I, why am I saying this? Because here's what I believe is the posture that we need to have going into this year. Now, hear my heart. <clears throat> I'm almost tempted to turn off the recorder right now because I don't want this taken out of context, but I think it's time to get violent. Yep, heard somebody whistle. It's time to get violent, but I'm not talking, hear my heart, I'm not talking about violence as the world would get violent. Worldly violence is rooted in fear and frustration. It's a desire to control and to manipulate people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about take your AR-15s and AKs and all your, I'm not talking about that all. And next week I'll, I'll reference some stuff that'll, I think, guide us through this. But I think it's time to understand that those of us who have felt so meaningless, those of us who have felt so pushed down, like, you're not essential, shut the church down. I'm telling you, you are the most essential people on the planet. When I talk about kingdom violence, kingdom violence is rooted in faith. And I believe it works as a counter to the violence of the world. And I want us to see us be kingdom people who can counter the world violence in a way that brings the presence of God into a whole other circle of influence that we step into. Amen? <clears throat> so you hear me. I don't want anyone leaving going, did you hear that? The pastor said, we're going to have an uprising. <laughs> Bring your guns and bazookas. We got this. That's not what I'm saying. It's time to get violent in the sense that the kingdom of God suffers violent. I'm so hungry for more. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I've watched sheep come out of a pen. You guys know by trade, I'm actually a, a journeyman meat cutter. And when you go to, to do the deed with sheep, they get really nervous. They start jumping over everybody and they're wanting out. I get that. But I want to be that hungry, and I want you to be that hungry. And as we face this new year, I want us to have that attitude that we're going to look, really look at what it means <clears throat> to be so deeply rooted in our faith that we're going to be able to take this counter and press against the violence that we're seeing in the world today. You guys are powerful people. I don't think you understand the dynamite, the explosive nature that's inside of you. Some of you get it. Some of you are still on that quest. But I'm telling you, there's a whole other way that I think we need to move into and explode forth with power and with demonstrations of power. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. <clears throat> I apologize for the quirkiness of this word. It... Um, this was a tough one. I think, you know, I, I, can, I can stand up here and say the devil didn't want me to share it, but um, <clears throat> there's a lot going on in all of our hearts, and we're navigating waters. We've never been here before, and, and I can honestly say that as a pastor, this has been a rough season, and, and you know, I hear your hearts. I hear your brokenness. I feel your pain, and, but I want you to know that God's got this. 
but we can't just sit and watch everything roll by. We got to be active. We got to roll up our sleeves. We got to step into the fray. We got to explode out of the pen. John came. He was the Elijah. He came. He kicked the door open. He kicked the gate down. Jesus came in behind them. The people understood this. They understood this because they had been raised with the scripture. They understood that Elijah and the spirit of Elijah, that hope had to come, and that was the one that would come before the Messiah. They knew this, and their hearts were filled with hope. I'm telling you, the Messiah has come. He is here. He is now. And I I just hope, man, you can get this attitude in your heart that you're going to do whatever it takes to press into the kingdom. You're going to do whatever it takes to step into his presence because you want to be the one that God uses. You want to be the one that sees the hand up and, here I am, Father, use me, use me. Max, did you want to add anything? Okay, okay. I know Max has been chewing on a lot of this too, and I love his prophetic insight, but Father, we just thank you for this moment. Father, I pray that you would show us truly what this scripture means to us personally. Father, I pray that you would give us a burning desire and a heart to hear your word, to hear from you, God. And Father, I just pray that as as those of some of us who kind of listen to all these other prophetic voices and we're hearing it's going to be the happy dance and everything's going to be fine and glorious. Father, I pray that you would help us filter through that. Father, I want our people to hear your voice above all the other clamor going on. Hear your voice, God. Father, I know that this year you have jobs for each and every one of us. We have, God, experienced a lot of loss. We have experienced a lot of grief. But Father, with the prophet Elijah, man, you had a job for him. You hurt his heart. You didn't give in to the whininess. You hurt his heart. And Father, you started him on an incredible journey, a divine assignment that, that, that continued that whole process of bringing forth the message, God. And Father, I know that you have a plan and a purpose for everyone in here. And that plan and that purpose is not to sit on a bench but it's to stand up and to do. It's to go out and set the captives free. Thank you, God. And we just thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, we need to pick up the chairs.